You're listening to The Diversity Podcast, a series by the Calgary Journal that looks at underexplored niches of our community. I'm your host, Lexi Freehill, and in this season of The Diversity Podcast, I'm excited to dive into the wide range of female leaders we have here in Calgary that make this city so great. We are grateful to live and work in the traditional territories of the Blackfoot and the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Siksika, the Pekani, the Ghana, the Satina, and the Stony Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation. Today on the podcast, we have Victoria Bucholtz, a professor of history and gender studies at Mount Royal University by day and drag performer Carla Marx by night. Victoria is a trans woman and a co-founder of the Queer Education Foundation, an online consultation and education project aimed at increasing workplace and societal awareness of the LGBTQ community. This interview was recorded remotely, so please excuse the audio fumbles, as there are a few. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, Welcome to the Diversity Podcast. So I'd like to start by asking about the Queer Education Foundation. Uh, What was your role in forming the foundation, and why did you, along with Anda, decide to pursue this project? Um, I was one of the co-founders of the Queer Education Foundation. Um, we got together uh, a couple of years ago and realized that the community needed, there was a lot of online education that was going on about queer issues and about the queer community, um, that uh, EDI work was growing really as a field, um, and that especially within Calgary, there was kind of a, a need for queer-focused EDI work. Um, so originally we worked with uh, Calgary Pride on their learning series that they did in 2020, I believe. Um, and we helped provide um, kind of foundational courses for them for uh, LGBTQ kind of 101 and more advanced courses as well as courses specifically focusing on the trans and non-binary communities. Um, And then that, we realized there's a a pretty big growth field there, um, that there were a lot of uh, corporations particularly looking to expand um, their knowledge base, to train employees, uh, to create safer workspaces particularly. Uh, And so we started to branch into a lot of corporate training, but then also working with nonprofits and other organizations so we've worked with uh, everyone from Shell and Suncor and Esso uh, down to, I did a training for one Dairy Queen location, Cochrane, that got into a kerfuffle and needed <laughs> some more training for their staff. And so we kind of do it all big and small, and we do also consultant work as well. Awesome. And what sort of feedback have you gotten from the places where you've you know, brought this education? Uh, It's been positive. Uh, I think that there's a real thirst for knowledge about queer people um, and that there's a real, especially within the workplace, there's an idea that you you need to make an inclusive workplace. You need to have a a space where everyone can come work without fear of harassment or microaggressions or any kind of discrimination. And uh, a lot of workplaces are really trying to improve 
And it's really been gratifying to see a lot of employees show up to these sessions and really come with a, a genuine interest to just engage with queer individuals in a proper way, uh, in a productive way, healthy, that, that's not going to cause any harm. People really, I think, don't want to cause harm generally. Um, there's, there's a lot of accidental or unintended harm that happens. And um, this clears up, I think these kind of trainings can, can do a lot to combat those uh, situations where people just don't know the right words. They don't, you know, maybe they didn't grow up with in the queer community uh, and didn't know the right terminology. And also a lot of terminology has changed in the last three to five years. So people may just not be aware and make mistakes because of ignorance, not because they really intend to cause harm. Yeah, for sure. I think that's very, you know, very relevant here and like, you know, where I grew up for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so is there anybody else doing what the Queer Education Foundation is doing? Yep, there's lots of organizations out there who are working in the broader uh, EDI field of equity, diversity and inclusion. Um, there are so many different corporate like companies, big and small. There's lots of individual consultants. Um, there's a lot of amazing people who are working to build a more, uh, equitable society in diverse society. There's a lot of people who are really working against, uh, fighting against racism and have done amazing work, um, from two spirit education for, uh, black communities for, I mean, you name it, there's, a, a real thirst for knowledge and there's a whole field of consultant groups and, and uh, training groups that have really started to pop up to meet that need, um, which is a positive sign. I think that, that more knowledge is being disseminated and people are, are being valued for the labor that this education is instead of just turning to your friend and saying, Hey, explain to me why I shouldn't do this. They're realizing that that training needs to be compensated, that it is labor. Um, and so that's a real positive sign as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in addition to the workshops and consultations with the Queer Education Foundation, mm -hmm. what other types of activism in the LGBTQ2IA plus community are you involved in? Um, well, uh, I've worked with a whole host of queer-focused um, organizations, Calgary Queer Arts Society, briefly with Calgary Pride, uh, Queer Education Foundation, um, but then also with a lot of smaller groups, the Boring Little Girls Club, which is a, a sober-focused space, which is also very queer-focused. Um, and then a lot of um, smaller groups, more informal ones, uh, especially through the performing arts community in Calgary, which is extremely strong, and the drag community, uh, groups like Fake Mustache are putting on great shows, but they're also a massive support group for gender diverse uh, individuals who may not find acceptance other places. That show is its own community as well, which is really, really vibrant here in Calgary. Um, I've worked with Skipping Stone and their expressions group. Um, and then just as an advocate, on my own, uh, I've organized Trans Day of Remembrance panels and discussions and had Mayor Nenshi and uh, Janice Irwin uh, come and speak about the importance of, you know, tra rep representing and respecting trans rights. 
Um, so yeah, just kind of a lot of activism within the community and then just being a resource, being around, being <laughs> a very visible trans woman um, who's, you know, accessible, I think is also another way of doing advocacy of just being there as somebody, a resource that people can come and talk to if they, if they need. Yeah, for sure. So how long have you been involved in stuff like that? Uh, I'd say probably about three, four years I've been getting more and more involved. Um, certainly a lot in the last two or three. And why do you think it's so important to have that kind of activism and those kind of role models, especially in the pandemic when we were all isolated, but I'm sure, you know, that stuff impacts marginalized communities a lot more. Um, well, maybe not in the way you think with, for trans individuals. Um, the, <laughs> the pandemic has actually been, uh, a bit of a mixed bag. There, there's certainly a silver lining to the cloud. Um, it's, it's sometimes forced people to live in circumstances where they're not able to express themselves. Um, freely, which has been detrimental. Um, if someone doesn't have a safe home life and their, you know, immediate family members or friends are not super supportive. Uh, some people have certainly faced problems because of that during the pandemic. Uh, other people have actually had new opportunities to kind of unplug from a very cis heteronormative society and kind of question the way that they've gone through things. And I've actually really seen a huge explosion of people exploring more their gender identity and expression. Um, and I would definitely say over the last two years, there's been a lot of people that I know in, in my life and community that have come out uh, as trans or non-binary um, because they've kind of had possibly a little bit more freedom to experiment and kind of try things out. That's fair. I definitely didn't think of it that way, but it makes it makes sense to have, you know, space for yourself to figure things out. When when they have a safe space to do so. And then, like I said, it's been great for people who have a supportive space that they've been maybe able to explore those things. For other people, it has actually been quite negative, um, especially for younger folks that maybe have had to move back in with parents or family that are not as supportive. Um, it's gone the other way and it's kind of put more pressure on people to conform. So it's, there's, there's good and bad because of the pandemic and how it's affected the trans and non-binary community. Um, so when you were young growing up in Sherwood Park, Alberta, did you have any positive representations of queer or transgender role models? Not in the slightest. Uh, Alberta was extremely transphobic and homophobic when I grew up in the nineties. Um, the school I grew up in mentioned uh, gay sex precisely once to tell us that we will all die of AIDS. Chapter closed, moved on. Um, there was immense amount of bullying in schools about anyone who was suspected of being gay. or I mean, the word queer was still very much a slur um, in that smaller community. Um, and even in terms of other exposure to queer lifestyle and particularly trans was extremely minimal um, and generally quite negative. Um, I think the only two times, the only two sources that I had of any kind of different gender representation was Mrs. Doubtfire and pornography, 
And to like 10 year old me, neither of those seemed like a real thing that I could roadmap towards. Um, so it was, it was challenging for sure to kind of, I didn't even know about the word transgender when I grew up. I definitely didn't see any positive representation of uh, queer individuals. I also remember the Delvin Vrend case, the uh, 2000, uh, the 1998 Supreme Court case where the government of Alberta was brought to court trying to defend the ability to fire Delvin Vrend from uh, the Edmonton School Board because they were gay. And the government of Alberta, my government, was suing to say that should be allowed. You should be able to fire this guy because he's gay. Um, and I remember that. That was pretty wild. I mean, it was the era of, like, Brandon Tina's murder and Matthew Shepard. That one hit really home because Matthew Shepard was not that much older than me. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was a really tough way to grow up. Um, and when you look at the positive representation of trans and non-binary people and just queer people in general today, it's, it's mind blowing how far it's come. Do you think that's true even for like small rural communities, even in like in Alberta? It's changing for sure. Um, I do perform a lot in smaller communities. Um, and I make a point of doing it possibly because I grew up without that kind of representation in a physical way. And, um, you know, we were doing shows in Lethbridge and Medicine Hat and Twin Butte. And we've done shows in some pretty small towns that weren't quite sure what to make of us. But sometimes you do those shows and it's not just a fun night. It's an important night to have that very visible queer representation. And you never know who's in the audience and looks at someone living a very openly queer lifestyle and say, maybe I can do that too. Um, or maybe this isn't quite the, the negative thing that I've been told that it is. Um, so I think it's, I think it's a mixed bag. I think that there is, you know, through the miracle of the internet, there are certainly more opportunities uh, for, for people to get exposure to queer content, especially as queer content has more moved more from the margins into the mainstream. Um, I think that's really helped people's access. And then there's kind of smaller scale things like drag shows and burlesque shows and small town prides that are really important uh, for showing people that there are other ways um, than just a cis heteronormative way of going about things. Yeah, absolutely. And that like, it's everywhere too. Like just because you grow up in a small town doesn't mean you have to like conform while you're there and then, you know, become a totally new person when you move to a city or move to somewhere where you can like be who you'd like to be. Like that opportunity should be there for you. Um, like no matter where you are. True. But, um, safety is, always a major issue for queer folk and um and like yes one day hopefully we get to the place where you can be whoever you are wherever um but if you live an openly queer lifestyle it's choosing your happiness over your safety is the reality and uh in some places it is still too dangerous to do that that's an important thing to keep in mind how did 
you know, this sort of negative representation or complete lack of representation that you saw as a young person mm-hmm. affect your self-image growing up and try to, like, figure out who you are? Um, I, I would say that it kind of stunted any exploration of that. I was certainly aware of I had thoughts that didn't seem to fit with what everyone else was telling me I should be like. But because of the intense homophobia in society at that time that I experienced, um, it kind of just created a wall with, after a certain point, I just didn't explore, didn't um, try to unpack those things because they were just so outside of anything that I knew that would be allowed that I didn't really explore those parts of myself until I was older and safer to do so. Um, so because of that, like intense, like I said, pretty intense cultural um, homophobia that I experienced, it really stunted um, my exploration of my gender and sexuality. What do you hope um, to achieve with like your activism and your standing up and saying like, this is who I am and it's okay to be this. Like, what do you hope to inspire for young people who are maybe, you know, questioning their gender identity? Oh, um, I guess just, um, equality is ultimately the goal. Um, liberation from cis people would be wonderful, but we have to set our sights right now on just having equal rights and protections. Um, there's a, obviously, uh, in a couple of days, it's the trans day of visibility, which, um, has really come under intense debate this year as to whether or not it's a positive thing. Um, the idea of the double-edged sword of visibility is very, very much apparent, Visibility has been great, and more people are aware of trans and non-binary folks than ever before, but this has really served to put a target on our backs because rights and protections have not um, developed in the same way. And so instead, we're seeing trans people's lives being used as a political football and tossed back and forth, depending on who won an election. And it's it's pretty uh, a wild thing to sit down and read the news and wonder if uh, one team or another gets elected if whether or not you're going to be deemed a dangerous predator or a helpless victim that needs to be saved. Um, when you have your right to exist and access healthcare debated on internet forums regularly, it's a pretty dehumanizing process. Um, and it's very othering. So equality is ultimately the goal, establishing rights and protections, establishing proper healthcare for trans individuals and non-binary individuals um, is got to be the first step to um, any kind of advocacy that we need to be not forced to go and beg for our existence to cis medical professionals. Um, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's no medical procedures that are denied to cis people because you're cis. Whereas for trans people, we're constantly going to cis doctors and, lawmakers and psychologists and government officials and begging to please have this life-saving surgery. And they're like, well, I don't know if you're really a real person or not. And, uh, that gets you down after a while. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. 
So I would like to take a few moments to talk about your drag career. Can you tell me how you got started in the art of drag? Uh, yes, I used to um, perform. I used to host burlesque shows um, for my wife and her troupe and company. And uh, she really got into drag race for a while there and was watching an episode and turned to me he's like you know i really think you could do this and uh he's like oh yeah and she's like you know you're just so sassy why don't you just become a drag queen already and i said fine i will and then i did nice um so your stage persona carla marks mm-hmm. um was cited in a sprawl article as like an embodiment yeah. of equality Um, So why is it so important to continue to advocate for queer representation and especially trans visibility in queer spaces? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that my drag persona, Carla Marx, is about is not just about spreading queer uh, identities and art and culture, uh, which it is, it's very much about that, but it's also about focusing on um, imbalances and barriers and challenges within the queer community as well. Um, especially within drag and burlesque and, and things like that, there are uh, issues that still need to be addressed and focused on, and that's kind of one of the things that I like to point out and highlight um, in my drag and burlesque is is those imbalances and trying to address them and sometimes poking humor at them a lot of the times pointing out the ridiculousness of some of those barriers, but um, there's there's lateral violence within the queer community that still needs to be addressed. Um, you know, just because I'm marginalized because I'm a trans woman doesn't mean that I'm not privileged because of my whiteness. And so, you know, dismantling that those privileges of white supremacy that still exists within the queer world is super important. Uh, looking at the imbalances between men and women and non-binary performers who do drag and the access they have to gigs and opportunities, that's still very real within the drag world. Um, looking at class, uh, classism and ableism and racism within the burlesque world and drag world, these are important things to keep challenging. Um, and so I think that's also very much a focus. Uh, my drag and burlesque career is very political because uh, these are very political arts. And so kind of being constantly aware of that when I'm doing things is is important to me, uh, especially because I host a lot of events. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Um, Yeah, no problem. I enjoyed the conversation, and I hope that even if this reaches just a few people, that it can, like, open some minds and inspire a little bit of question-asking. That's it for this episode of the Diversity Podcast. The music you heard was Jolly Snowy Night by Sky Jordan. Thanks for listening, and remember to head to thecalgaryjournal.ca to check out the next episodes of Diversity, featuring other Calgary women in leadership and more.